Welcome to Prodigal. Happy New Year. This is traditionally uh, the lowest, statistically lowest attended service in church, in the church calendar. And so you guys must really love Jesus. We're glad you're here. Uh, yeah, we can give yourselves a round of applause. Um, Happy New Year. It's been a great year. 2019 was just absolutely incredible. Um, and I've got a poem to kind of share a little bit about this uh, New Year. So it'll be on the screens. Twas the week after Christmas and all through the house, nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. The cookies I'd nibbled, the fudge I did taste, all the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I got on the scales, there arose such a number. When I walked to the store, less a walk than a lumber. The pies and the cakes, the bread and the cheese, and the way I never said, no thank you, please. So away with the last of the sour cream dip, get rid of the fruitcake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food that I like must be banished till all of the additional ounces have vanished. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore, but isn't that what January is for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good diet. Amen, amen. Um, Happy New Year. We're going to have a great time uh, today. Uh, one thing I do want to say uh, as we move towards January 2020, uh, something new that we're going to be doing in 2020 is we're going to be doing something uh, once every six months called Vision Night or Dream Team. The name is a work in progress, but it's going to be on a Sunday evening, uh, and we're going to start this in January, probably the third week, and it'll probably be in here. And it's for anybody who wants to yeah, take more ownership, uh, take more leadership, uh, have more influence in our church, and uh, it'll be in here. We'll have some songs, and we'll kind of be a casting vision for the next six months in the life of our church, some things to be looking forward to, some things to be praying for, getting feedback from people. It's going to be just an incredible time, and so if that's something that you're thinking about or feeling a stirring in your own life, I really want this to be my home. I want this to be a place that continues to grow long after 2019 and 2020 and beyond. We want you to be a part of that and part of what God's doing here in a greater way, so uh, you'll be hearing more about it in the upcoming weeks, but I want to at least put that out there right now. Uh, there are three frogs on a log. One of them decides to jump. How many are left on the log? Three. Because one decided he didn't actually jump. And that's what these resolutions are about, right? New Year's resolutions. It's something we might decide to do, but we may not actually carry it through to fulfillment. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the life of Abraham, kind of from a bird's eye view, and look at his journey and see how it kind of infuses with our journey in 2019 and in the new year. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. It is an incredible, incredible story. Um, Abraham, this, this conversation that God has with this uh, pagan God worshiper in the land of Ur 3,500 years ago, uh, from this conversation has spurred the three great monotheistic religions of the world, uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All seem to trace and believe that they are the true continuation of this conversation that God has with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And this is what God says. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The same call that God gave Abraham 
all those years ago is the same call he has for us now. God has called everyone else. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. It's not so, yay, I can count my, count my blessings and just, yay, just drown in the goodness of God and all the blessings that we have in our own lives. No, it's we're blessed to be a blessing. This is the purpose of the people of God. It was the purpose for Israel in the Old Testament. It is purpose of the church here now. Blessed to be a blessing. Uh, so if you want 2020 to be the year of blessing, then it starts with you being a blessing to others. Some of you might be going through some stuff, like some real tough stuff. I know that. One of the things that helps us when we're going through some terrible, difficult suffering is to help someone else who has it worse than we do. Uh, and so uh, when we're blessed to be a blessing, uh, it helps us in our own suffering. Many of us think that uh, when we give our life to God, it's kind of like this one-time thing, right? Like picture if everyone here in this room has a $1,000 bill, okay? They don't exist. I, at least I don't think I've ever seen one. But you got a $1,000 bill, and we think if I'm going to give my life to God, I'm going to lay this $1,000 bill on the altar, and God takes it. But what if, what if when we do that, we... we we lay it to God. God gives it back to us and says, no, I want you to go to the bank and I want you to get $1,000 worth of quarters. So then you leave the bank and you've got suitcases full of quarters. And God says, the way I want you to give me, give me your life is by 25 cents at a time giving it to others. So you help the neighbor kid with his homework. So you hang out with the person at work who's hard to hang out with. Um, so you sacrificially love your family, your spouse, your kids, you give yourselves away 25 cents, 50 cents at a time. That's the way we give our life away to God. It's not just one prayer one Sunday 10 years ago where we gave our life to God. No, we, we wake up every morning and we give our life to God. Every day we choose God by loving him and loving others. So God makes this covenant with Abraham. And it's one of the most important passages in all Scripture, and we're just going to breeze right past it and go to verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So God calls him out of ancient Ur, and he calls him to go to Canaan. They're called to go to Canaan. But when they, on their way to Canaan, they stop at Ur, and what does it say there? It says that they settled there. They settled there. For many of us in this room, God has called us to some amazing places, but somewhere along the way, there was complacency, comfort, and we settled there. If you want 2020 to be the year of blessing, don't settle there. Don't settle there. I, I don't know what that means for you, but you do and God does, right? Uh, don't settle there. They settled in Haran. They're called to the promised land, but they settled for Haran. God can't steer a parked car. Okay, you go to a parking lot, you see a bunch of cars there. Like you can get behind the wheel, you can turn it all you want. It's not going to go anywhere if there's no movement. Uh, some of you have pulled over and you've parked and you wonder why life is passing you by. The journey requires movement. This is why Jesus says, follow me, not stay right there. It, we don't stop. It's a journey. And like Abraham, it might be two steps forward, one step back, but we're moving forward. 
It takes a while, but Abram does eventually leave Haran and makes it to, to Canaan, and he worships God there. But then something happens once he hits the promised land. Once he does the right thing and he gets to the place he's called to go, a famine happens. And so he leaves Canaan when the going got tough, and he flees to Egypt, which was the superpower at the time. So he's supposed to be in Canaan. That's the promised land. He, he, the circumstances there weren't good, and so there was a famine. So when the going got tough, he left. It's almost as if the closer we get to God, the worse things become. Ever dealt with that? It's like, God, I'm, I'm starting to do the right things. I'm getting things in line. I start to follow you in a greater way. I'm, I'm living that life of integrity and love that you've called me to live. I'm going to church more. I might be reading my Bible more. I'm, I'm doing better. How come all this bad stuff just keeps coming my way? It happens sometimes. And sometimes we're doing all these things, and then it feels like God's distant. Like God's more distant than he was in the past. And if you find yourself further away from God than you used to be, who moved? Because God always draws near. What made us move? I was talking to a friend not too long ago, and he was going through some tough times, and I said, well, how you doing? He said, not too bad under the circumstances. I'm like, why are you under the circumstances? Face them head on. Don't submit to the pressure that they put on you. Allow God to shoulder the, the pain, the, the burden. First Peter says that God, do we are to cast our anxieties, cast our cares, our worries, our stresses upon God because he cares for us. Don't let circumstances determine your journey. Let God. So if you want to be, a, the, if you want 2020 to be the year of blessing, don't settle there. Back to Abram's journey. Look at chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, who was to become Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So, babe, just trust me on this. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful. Uh, and, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Quotations, wink, wink. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. Did Abraham just let somebody else have sex with his wife? Yes. That's in the Bible. What? If I were God, I'd just throw in the towel with this guy. I'm done. Done with you. First, he settles in Haran when he's called to go to Canaan. Then, once he gets to the promised land, it gets a little uncomfortable for him, and so he flees to Egypt. Once he gets to Egypt, he lies about his wife, says that she's my sister, and gives her to Pharaoh. I mean, this guy, he's messed up. Yet God chooses to use him, and God chooses to use us as well. Abraham was a, an extremely flawed person. So are you. So am I. It's okay. You're, you're not the only sinner here. We're, all, we're together and not having it together. It is important for us to call it sin, though. Most of us would rather use the word mistake instead of sin when we mess up. If, but if everything that I do wrong can be dumbed down to where it's just a mistake, then I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. I don't have sin. I don't need a savior. 
If you're just a mistaker, then all you have to do is try harder, do better. But I, no, I, I'm not just a mistaker. Until you embrace the fact that we're a sinner, we're not able to acknowledge the fact, embrace that God is our Savior. I'm not a mistaker, I'm a sinner, and it's upon that confession that revival can spark and start in us. So what happens next in the story? While in Egypt, God still blesses them. Abram and Lot start to acquire all kinds of things. They become very wealthy. Notice that even though Abram is not in the place God's called him, and he's disobeying God all, on, on lots of steps, God still blesses him. Sometimes we think like, like if, if we're not doing what God wants, like just bad things are going to happen all the time. And then if we're doing what God wants, um, good things happen to us. The Bible contradicts that every step along the way. Bad stuff happens to good people. Bad stuff happens to, uh, to bad people. Good stuff happens to bad people. It, it, it's a plethora. Life's a mess, right? But here, he's disobeying God and God blesses him. I love that when, even when he's disobeying, God blesses him. It's not to say, God, uh, Abraham, I really love what you're doing here, so I'm going to bless you. It's to woo him back to himself. He, he's blessing him to woo him. He blesses us even when we're making bad choices. And so uh, they eventually are going to leave Egypt, and they've, a lot in Abram have acquired a ton of stuff. Um, and so as they're leaving Egypt and journeying, like their servants start getting into fights with each other. Like, that's my sheep. No, that's your sheep. Okay. And they start arguing about all this property. So they kind of get to this fork in the road, and Abram goes, Lot, you've got enough. I've got enough. If you go left, I'll go right. If I go left, you go right. You choose whatever you want. I'll settle somewhere else. He's beginning to sense this thing about this unselfishness, this blessed to be a blessing. He's allowing Lot, who's younger, to have the choice of where to settle. Look at chapter 13. It says, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So, of course, he chose what was the best, the best agricultural choice. The two parted companies, parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot makes his choice, and he chose to pitch his tents near Sodom. Now, this is a difficult text to preach on, and as a pastor, sometimes we can stumble over our words, okay? We're not immune to that. You guys have been here long enough. You know that that happens to me quite often, but I think we have a, a clip of a pastor teaching on this exact same passage of Scripture, and I think he messes up on a word or two. Check this out. And then the following week, last week, we were talking about Lot, and we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're talking about how Lot chose to go pinch his tits. Excuse me. <laughs> Pitch his tits. Pitch his tits is what I said. And you heard nothing else here. This is church, my gosh. So he was pitching his tits close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what happened was when, when he did that, he was getting too close to evil. And what I was challenging you guys to not do was to pick friends that were going to lead you to... Man, stop laughing! All right? Man! 
Am I red right now? Holy cow! Ellie, I hope this isn't on videotape. I have no job now. Oh, man. Lot chose to pitch his tents near Sodom. Sodom was infamous for its immorality, its injustice, its unwelcoming of strangers, its wickedness. But Sodom was the better agricultural choice. And Lot, being as shallow as he was, could not help but choose what seemed to be best materially for him, regardless of the company he'd have to keep in Sodom. Now, if you'd approach Lot and say, hey, Lot, it's probably not a good idea that you're that close to Sodom, you know? Like, it's not that great of a place to get, you might get caught up in a downward spiral of some sort. Like, it's not, it's, it's not that good. He would probably say, oh, I know. That's why I'm not in Sodom. Yeah, duh. There's always an excuse. There's always a justification. And not only that, but we always point the finger at somebody else rather than looking at ourselves for our own mistakes. We do this all the time. Remember that phrase when we were kids? Like every time you point your finger at someone else, you have four pointing back at yourself. It's really bad. Like it doesn't make any sense because there's only three pointing back at myself. Like unless you point like that with your thumb. No, it's awkward. Three pointing back at yourself. Uh, I remember in high school, I got up to leave early for a, a meeting and it was still dark outside. And I always park in the same spot. Far left side of my parents' uh, driveway so that I can just kind of back right out. And so um, uh, I'm still groggy from the early morning. So I turn on the car, turn on the heater, put a cassette in the tape player. And as I begin to back out, uh, I hit the gas and it crash. My sister, who had got home after me that night, had parked right behind me, unbeknownst to me. So immediately, I go into her room, wake her up, and begin yelling at her for parking behind me. Right? That's her fault. She's not supposed to park there. It's her fault. Never mind the fact that a general rule of thumb is you look back before you back up. It's her fault, okay? I'm driving. My car hits a parked car. My sister's fast asleep in her bed, yet it's her fault. Amen? We love to divert the blame. Ever been in the kitchen and you're holding food and then you back up and you bump into somebody and the food goes everywhere and you're like, why are you standing there? It's your fault. It's our fault. We do this all the time with our shortcomings. It's not my fault I got angry and I yelled and I cussed. They're the ones driving crazy. It's not my fault that the relationship is over. They're the ones who won't apologize. It's not my fault that I'm looking for romance elsewhere. They're the ones not being intimate with me. There's a story about fraternity members putting Limburger cheese on the mustache of one of their brothers while he slept. So he woke up an hour later and he said, this room stinks. And he goes into the hallway, goes, this hallway stinks. Makes his way to the living room this living room stinks. Oh, he doesn't know where the smell's coming from. He opens the front door, takes a big inhale, and he goes, the whole world stinks. And the real problem was right under his nose the whole time. This is us. It's like us with sin. And it's a slippery slope because when we fall away from God, it's usually not a fall, it's a slide. 
right? It's one compromise after another. Look at, look at Lot. The same is true for Lot. It'll be on the screens. In Genesis 13, he looked toward Sodom. In Genesis 13, 12, he pitched his tents near Sodom. In chapter 14, we find him living in Sodom. And then in chapter 19, he sat in the gateway of Sodom, which means he was one of the judges. He became a leader in the city. So it started as, oh, I'm not in Sodom. I'm just pitching my tents near, eventually leads him down a downward spiral. If you want 2020 to be the year of blessing, get honest with God, get honest with yourself. Now, Abram ends up rescuing Lot from the destruction of Sodom, and Sodom's destroyed. We pick up the story in Genesis 20. At this point, Abraham is now 99 years old. God spoke to him supernaturally. Surely now, Abraham will not make the same mistakes that he made when he was younger, more naive. Look at Genesis chapter 20. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Did Abraham just say that his wife is his sister again so someone else can sleep with her? How many of you have said, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I'll never do that again. God, I hate this sin or this sin or the struggle in my life. I'll never do it again. And what do we end up doing? Same thing. That's Abraham. He has this supernatural encounter with God. We're like, how can he be so dumb? And Abraham, he had a way to justify it, right? I'm just trying to protect my family. God didn't punish me last time. What was I supposed to do? He could justify his actions. So can we. We're like, Abraham, that's so dumb. And then for our own lives, it's like, it's always, they're so dumb and I have my reasons. Those are such bad decisions for you, but I've got my reasons. We all do this justification thing. Could 2020 be the year we stop our excuses and we make the changes God's calling us to make? I want to invite knowing the band up. We'll close with this. Uh, a man once bought one of Whistler's paintings, famous paintings, and he asked the famous painter, could you help me find a place for it in my house? And so Whistler agrees, and he goes to the house, and they, he, the, the friend kind of holds it up and in one spot and then another spot, trying to find the perfect place to hang this painting. And Whistler finally said, listen, you're going about it all wrong. What you need to do is move all the furniture out, hang the picture where you want it, then arrange all the furniture in relation to it. This morning, the Spirit of God says the same thing to us. He doesn't want to be added to what you already have. He wants to be first. And if you let him come in, he'll rearrange the rest to help you experience the joy of having the greatest treasure on earth. You will never overcome your shortcomings, your failures, by just trying harder. But by centering ourselves on Jesus and around Jesus. He's not Pilates. He's not just a habit that we can do and add to our busy lives. He's what we built up, build our lives upon. How are you going to live? What's your vision for 2020? There are three frogs on a log. One decides to jump. How many are left on the log? Are you going to decide? Or are you going to do it? Will you make that leap? That leap of not just deciding to follow Jesus, 
but following Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would do that, that this journey of one step back, two steps forward, that moves us forward this year in a greater way, that we make more steps forward than we make back, that this would be the greatest year of our lives, that we would be blessed to be a blessing. God, that we would uh, make a difference for your kingdom. God, we thank you that you didn't give up on Abraham, even though he made bonehead decision after bonehead decision. And God, thank you that you haven't given up on me and you haven't given up on anybody here because we make bonehead decision after bonehead decision. God, thank you that our whole lives we've been taught to believe in God and we find out that God believes in us. And so you're cheering for us, God. You're with us. You never leave us. So God, we ask that you would do it again. That, that how you have moved in us before, would you do it again in a fresh new way in 2020? We pray that in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Would you stand as we declare God to do this again for our new year?